especially in, in, in not just the US, but in more exotic jurisdictions, often people will put blockers in. If you invest through Caymans, it's a lot more difficult for like Caymans limited partnerships and LLCs to be regarded as hybrids for Australian purposes. So they might naturally act as blockers. You're listening to Australia's podcast for accountants, Tax Talks, the podcast to grow your firm. Welcome to episode 318 of Tax Talks. This is Heide Robson and thank you to Class for sponsoring this episode. Whether you do or you don't use a blocker company, whether you block or you don't block, how does this affect your tax position in Australia? This is the question Clint Harding and Alex Rasmussen of Block Libre in Sydney will discuss with you. I would like to present you with two scenarios. The first one is that an Australian holding sets up a 100% held C Corp in the US that then invests 20% in an LLC. And I understand that this scenario prevents the Australian entity from having a tax obligation in the US as such. And it allows the LLC to be a look-through vehicle, and then the Australian entity just pays US tax on the income within the C-Corp. Is this a setup that you've seen before, that entities that are expanding into the US, that they set up a C-Corp basically as a blocker? I think the US often refers to it as a blocker entity, and that the C-Corp then invests into an LLC. Have you seen this structure before? Does that look familiar to you? Yeah, for sure. And you're right, they, they do often refer to it as a, as a sequel blocker. It might just be helpful to some of the listeners if we go into sort of what roughly the tax differences are on the US side for sequels um, versus LLCs. So so LLCs, for instance, we'll start there, can be treated as pass-through, is what they're called in the US, pass-through tax treatment, meaning that members, so you know shareholders, can choose to be taxed as either a partnership or as a corporation. So obviously, if you're electing to be taxed as a corporation, you'll pay the federal corporate tax rate. If, if you're electing to be a partnership, those um, those profits from the business will flow through to, to the quote-unquote members. With a C-Corp, there is no choice. You're, you're just taxed flat at the at the tax rate, at the corporate tax rate there in the US, and then um, shareholders, the extent that um, any dividends are, are then paid, will be double taxed on that. Generally speaking, from practice, a C Corp and an LLC are the most common that we see from an Australian side. Um, the other entity that gets referenced, if they've got um, you know, relationships with uh, US advisors, they might hear references to what's called an S Corp. From an Australian perspective, that's it's not really relevant to, to what we deal with because it's a requirement that all members of an S Corp are US citizens. So as soon as you sort of get um, any kind of Australian entity looking to make an investment and his corp is not an appropriate vehicle because you don't qualify from a citizenship perspective. Yes, yeah, so that means a US company that is organized as an S corp and wants to receive foreign investment will then need to change to an LLC or a C corp so that they can have foreign interests. Yeah, correct. And, and sort of when you make a decision about whether it's a C corp or an LLC, you know, commercial mechanisms come into it. And, and if you're looking to reinvest, you know, the earnings that the C-Corp generates, that, that is the most effective vehicle because obviously as an LLC, you're, you're taxing the partners potentially, right? So 
So if you're just going to hold hold all the profits and redeploy them within the business, then then C Corp generally from a from a US perspective, as we've sort of been advised generally, is is the most useful. If you have the C Corp, then the Australian entity has no US tax obligations. They just lodge the tax return or the Americans say file, they file the tax return for the C Corp, but that's where it stops. Roughly yes, that's, that's how it is. Yep, that's the purpose of blockers to, to get out of filing obligations in the US. So that, that's our understanding of how it works. And so if the Australian entity invested directly into the LLC, then the Australian entity would have a filing obligation as the Australian entity in the US. Correct. And that's why you use the C Corp as a blocker. Sometimes some people want to, don't mind, they'll take the pain of having to make US filings in order to get the flow through treatment in an LLC or an LLP office. Because when you just have the LLC and then let's say you get 20% of the income, then you have to file a tax return in the Australian entity's name because the Australian entity now has US sourced income and hence becomes liable to file and then probably would have to file its worldwide income. And that's why Australian entities usually try to avoid to have a direct interest in an LLC, correct? I wouldn't say usually because the foreign tax credit position is completely different. So if you have $100 of US income, and I'm not sure about the worldwide, I'm not sure the US would would, would require a non-resident to include non-US source income in the US return. You'd have to, that's a good question. I don't, it would seem unusual, but let's just assume for the moment that the only income of the LLC is $100 of trading profits in the US. If that's taxed in a C Corp, you'll pay $21 of US tax on that and you'll have $79 left. You'll distribute that out as a, as a dividend and there'll be withholding tax that might should be withholding tax on that when it comes out and you'll get a credit for the withholding tax, but not for the $21 of federal tax paid at the C-Corp level. Whereas if you hold an interest directly in the ALC and it's the Australian member or shareholder in that seat in the LLC that lodges the return and pays the tax, then you'll, you'll also lodge an Australian return, but you should get a credit for the actual $21 of US tax paid. So it can You've got to do all the modelling and the examples and work through all of that all the way up to the ultimate shareholders because, as you say, sometimes the dividends when they come back will be non-assessable, non-exempt under 768A. But obviously it changes at what level you pay tax. And one of the key requirements to get foreign income tax offsets is it has to be the person who's claiming its income tax liability. So that's a very good point. Say 20% of the LLC's profit is $100. So the LLC distributes $100 to C-Corp. C-Corp pays 21% tax on it, assuming that the corporate tax rate in the US for C-Corp is 21%. So they would pay $21 of tax on it. So that's $79 left. That $79 then gets distributed to Australia. And hence, Australia, the Australian entity gets no FITO for the $21 it already paid. However, if, if they hold the LLC directly, and then they file a US tax return for the $100 they received. What tax rate applies to the LLC? Probably too tricky. Probably the same. I assume for the purposes it's still 21%, same profits. Good. Um, So that means the Australian entity then would pay $21 in their US tax return on this $100 profit, so they would have $79. However, when this $79 now gets distributed 
back to Australia. Well, there's no distribution. It's an LLC, so that, that, that you sort of ignore yes. that for the exactly. time being. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So that means the Australian entity would include $100 income in their tax return and then would receive a FITO of $21, and hence it actually might be of interest. It might actually be better for them to hold the LLC interest directly and not to use a C-Corp blocker. And as you said, one needs to weigh it up. One needs to weigh the, up the disadvantage or the advantage of not having to or having to file a US tax return against the loss of the FITO of 21%. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you've got to work through all of those FITO scenarios at the next level too. What happens when that Australian head company wants to pay a dividend out to mum and dad shareholder? If it hasn't paid Australian tax, it wouldn't have generated franking credits. So then how does that interact with the imputation regime and the generation of franking credits once you then distribute that same $100 or the after tax, what's left of it up the next level to the shareholders? Yeah, that's a very good point. Because then even though when you hold the LLC directly, you get the FITO of $21, it might not mean much once you distribute those profits further down the chain because you don't get a franking credit. So in the end, it's, there's a chance that the same amount of money will actually arrive at the uh, ultimate individuals. Yeah, yeah, you got to, that's a cold towel and a calculator type. It's interesting to hear that this is not something exotic, but that it is something that you've seen quite a bit, that, that C-Corps are used as a blocker. Correct, especially, and, and, and not just the US, but in more exotic jurisdictions, often people will put blockers in. If you invest through Caymans, it's a lot more difficult for like Caymans limited partnerships and LLCs to be regarded as hybrids for Australian purposes. So they might naturally act as blockers. So there's all sorts of different things. Yes, you already mentioned that in our last talk, you mentioned that the Cayman Islands are quite a popular, or I shouldn't say popular, <laughs> I got chastised for that when I mentioned it with the BVI, but you said that the Cayman Islands are a common destination for US-bound investment. Yeah, or, or mainly a common destination that US investors use to use blockers for, for US purposes as well. So. I would hazard a guess that most people with super fund entitlements would probably own, be surprised to know that they actually own interest in a Cayman's vehicle somewhere because a lot of lot of our big super funds will make investments offshore and they'll do that through entities like Cayman Islands, LLPs that serve as feeder vehicles and things like that. So they're just they're vehicles to use to collect investors. So you may want to invest in a target investment you don't want. 4,000 investors each investing in it. So you set up a feeder vehicle or a collective investment vehicle in one of these jurisdictions to sort of funnel all of those investors through. So that's a common outcome. So you can put the C-Corp blocker into the States, but you could also use a C-Corp blocker based in the Cayman Islands. Of course, it would then be called something different, but you basically could have the, you don't have to have the blocker in the same country where you have the investment. Correct. For Australian tax, it doesn't really matter whether the investment is directly into the LLC or whether it's through the C-Corp, apart from the FITO, of course. For Australian tax, you have a difference with respect to the FITO, but possibly as you go further down the chain, it doesn't make a difference. Yeah, but there's all sorts of other, like the application of CFC rules. If you're a C-Corp, you clearly got to think about the CFC rules. If you're an LLC and it's a look-through thing, it's not going to be a CFC. There's still different, different 
I think it's probably a little bit of an oversimplification to say that the only difference is the application of the FITO rules. But in terms of headline tax rate, we don't tax different types of income differently. So like dividends are income taxed as a company rate, a share of trading profits, if it's for an LLC, will be taxed at the company rate. So we don't necessarily distinguish between the, the character of the income that might come through each structure. Yeah, and it's a very good point. The C Corp blocker would actually fall under the CFC rules because it only receives passive income. Not necessarily. If if that C Corp, if the LLC is disregarded in the US, then that C Corp will be deemed to be carrying on the presumably the business of the C Corp, which would be a partnership. So it might actually be active income. I don't know. That's a good one. Okay. It's, a, it's a good one for a rainy day. You'd have to get US advice to understand whether or not. That, that that income changes its character in the hands of the C-Corp. Um, and then we're in the US, which is a listed company, so it's pretty unlikely that there'll be any impact, even if it is passive-type income. There's only certain subsets of passive income that are EDCI income that will be caught. So again, you need to go back to that definition of eligible designated concession income to see whether or not it might fall within that. Welcome back. So whether you receive the overseas income as nano or not, and whether you receive a FITO or not, only matters while the profits stay within the Australian company. But if and when you distribute to shareholders, then neither scenario will give you any franking credits. And so the dividends will come out to the ultimate shareholders completely unfranked. Tomorrow we will do another US episode, episode US number eight. Alan Nunes will talk about C-Corp blockers and whether your training operations should be held within an LLC or another C-Corp. And then next Monday in episode 319, Clint Harding and Alex Rasmussen will talk about cross-border franchise fees. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to Class for their support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.